You are never too young to get involved and use your voice and make a statement and challenge the status quo. Isabel, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for flying across the country to come on POVs today. It's such an honor to have you. Sophie, for you, I will always jump on a red-eye flight. I am so excited to be here. And it's just been so cool for the past few years watching the growth of your organization and seeing the impact that it's making on social media. Thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. It's nice to finally be with you in person. I know we meant to have you on the podcast back in the day. So having you here on our talk show, it feels very full circle. Absolutely. Ready to jump into all kinds of spicy topics today. I can't wait. So we always start off with somewhat of a controversial question. You ready? I'm always ready. Okay, Isabel, do you think there's one political party in America that's more correct than another? No, I don't. And I think that's a surprising answer for people to hear. A shock and amazement alert. I'm the big scary C word in America, conservative. And I think we've created this image of conservatives and liberals in this country where it's one side who's always taking the moral high ground versus the other. One side is promoting good and one side's promoting evil in our country. But the longer I've worked in the political space and been creating content online, the more I've had my eyes open to the fact that more often than not, it's not so much right versus left in this country or Democrat versus Republican or conservative versus liberal. It's all of the people in charge versus everybody else. It has never been more important to unify as a country. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for sharing that. Do you think it's inherently wrong to view one political party as more correct than another? No, not necessarily. And I think people gravitate towards certain parties because of where their foundational values lie. I, for example, consider myself to be a conservative because before I am a conservative, I'm a Christian and I happen to be my Judeo-Christian values alongside my political ones. I happen to find those are more reflected on the conservative side of things. I certainly don't think that it's a bad thing to associate with a certain group of people in our country. We've painted it to be that way in the last few years. And I say that with a caveat. We've let that label, being a conservative or a democratic socialist, or a libertarian engulf every single thing about us. We can't go to the movies and talk about the song that just came out last week without somehow putting a political filter or lens on it. We're losing our ability to connect with the humanity of one another because we've siloed ourselves and labeled ourselves so specifically. I hear that. We gotta find a way to really celebrate the humanity in each other. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that everything has become so politicized. Do you think it's possible for human beings to not be inherently political? I do. And I actually think we're going back in that direction as a country. My dad and I were just talking about this when I was in Colorado for my sister's college graduation last week. He said, what's happening in America today feels a lot like the 1970s, where mm -hmm. every single thing was about politics. College students walked out of class to protest things all the time, and you saw mass organizations and assemblies in the streets. And I think people are so sick and tired of that, especially Generation Z, who wants to move beyond those silly partisan differences and learn more about the complexity in the humanity in each individual person that we're going to see in the next few years what the 80s and 90s looked like mm. in America, where people were so tired of politics that for almost two decades, pretty much nothing was about politics in America. We did everything we could to unify, to find common ground with one another, and to tune out the loudest divisive voices in our society so that we could build a stronger country for all of us. I hope that's the direction we're headed in. Me too, I would love that. <laughs> and do you think you're able to separate 
who you are at your core from your political views? Yes and no. Um, I think political views are often a manifestation of your innermost values. So for example, when I say I'm pro-life, it means I believe in the sanctity of human life for every single individual, that I believe everyone was made in the image of God and we all deserve the same opportunity to make the most of the life we've been given. Uh, that really is a deep-seated value in the perspective in which I view the world, not just a political statement. We were designed and created intentionally to have a whole complexity and host of passions and interests and hobbies. I'm super outdoorsy and I love Harry Potter and I'm hugely nerdy for Star Wars and I could curl up with a book for seven hours a day and I would love that. And that's so much more of who I am than who I happen to check on a ballot box every November or a silly tweet that I put out for 15 characters. What Harry Potter house are you? Gryffindor, obviously. Nice. No, I'm not making that up. Okay, everyone always says, of course you said that. You're not actually Gryffindor. I've taken the test 25 times. Nice. So. Can you guess mine? <laughs> Hufflepuff. We love it. You know me too well. I love it. <laughs> and I, I really love what you said about how we are so much more than perhaps some of our political views. A lot of people's identities have become politicized. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there are parts of your identity that have been politicized? Totally, absolutely, what 100%. I really got started working in the political space on my college campus, and I never intended on working in politics. Uh, but the reason I got started in all of that to begin with was that I was a biomedical sciences student. I wanted to be a trauma surgeon. I was obsessed with the idea of pursuing objective truth. And instead, I was spending those classes like physics or OCHEM talking about my professor's political beliefs all the time. And it really threw me for a loop because I realized, and I think the whole world has gotten a window into this for the last few years, science, especially in academia, isn't about the pursuit of objective truth anymore. It's about the political agenda of the loudest voices of the day, more often than not, mm -hmm. no matter who's in charge, uh, which really shattered my expectation of what my academic experience was going to be like. So I wanted to advocate for true science and got involved in student government but very quickly found myself being labeled every horrible name under the sun because I happened to be a conservative. So somehow that meant on my college campus, I was white power Barbie or Nazi Barbie. Even though that had nothing to do with my character or my identity, immediately on my college campus of 33,000 people, that became my new assumed identity. That escalated really quickly throughout my college experience, and I actually wrote a book about it called Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. Uh, it became an Amazon bestseller last year when it came out, but it was fascinating to see this escalation from people that I had known for years, people I may have even grown up with in my hometown. Those labels and uh, angry uh, comments and name calling really escalated into threats of violence, people were threatening to rape me, lots of death threats, my address was doxxed online to my one bedroom apartment. And I remember thinking, really? All of this because I'm not a political science student and I wanted to advocate for challenging your perspectives and improving your worldview through having really important conversations, what college is supposed to be all about? How am I, a 19 year old at the time, doing the job of what all of my college administrators are supposed to be doing. I am so sorry that happened to you. You know, it was hard. And I, I wish we had more of a venue to communicate those things. I actually ended up starting an IGTV series called On the Front Lines to interview other conservative college students about their experiences. But I think we often hear from conservative voices. Eh, just brush it off, it's fine. Those people don't know you. And that's true, eventually you should get to that point. But I think it's totally valid, and I tell this to high school and college students all the time, to sit in that 
to be completely aware of all of the things that those people are throwing at you and realize this hurts and it's not okay because it's not normal. This is not what we were designed to be. I love that advice. And I, I'm such a believer in the notion that doxing someone, bullying someone, belittling someone is never actually gonna solve anything. You seem like you're on the other side of this, right? You feel confident in your voice, you know what you believe in, but I'm sure in those moments, it was really tough to pull yourself out. How did you pull yourself out of those really dark moments when you were receiving death threats? And did you ever feel like you needed or wanted to hide that piece of your identity? Amazingly, no. And I look back on that and I'm shocked that I didn't say, okay, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm done with this. I can just enjoy the rest of my college experience and not lean into this further. But I never wavered. I just mm -hmm. consistently kept putting one foot in front of the other. I really felt a deep seated calling to be a voice to unify on my college campus and to expose the real truth that we all agree on a lot more than we think we do if we're bold enough to have those conversations. If you don't back down, if you keep getting up every day, you do come out on the other side of it. Some of my best friends vehemently disagree with me on every issue and that's fine. And at the same time, sometimes I argue with conservatives a lot more than I do with the left in America, uh, but learning how to break that echo chamber to be so, so solid in your own values and being okay with that, being deep seated in that, and then being bold enough to share that with others was probably the best lesson I could have learned. That's awesome. And I think so many young people out there probably aren't quite there yet, especially Gen Z. We're at such a critical time where we're starting to formulate our opinions on every issue. Mm -hmm. Where do a lot of your beliefs come from? Is it your religion? How did you know growing up that these were your beliefs and how did you find your voice? I think a lot of these values of mine started to solidify themselves when I was in high school. Um, I was raised by Catholic attorneys. So as I'm sure you can imagine, there was a lot of conversations about politics and religion in our house. My mom would always force us to watch the State of the Union as children, no matter who was president and understand exactly what they said and the direction our country was going going in for better or worse, depending on the situation. Uh, and when I was a sophomore in high school, my mom forced me to join the competitive speech and debate team. Mm -hmm. And I said, mom, I already have no friends in high school. This is social suicide. I don't think you understand the level of drama you're about to put me through. She said, just go for four weeks, four or five weeks in a row. And if you really hate it after that, you can quit. So I really dragged my feet for the first two meets. I thought, oh, I could do literally anything else with my weekend. But by the time I got there and started getting into it, I realized that if I put a lot of effort and a lot of heart and soul into this, I could probably be pretty good at it. And speech and debate ended up being my favorite thing I've ever done in my teenage years. I ended up competing at the national tournament several years in a row, which was so fun representing the state of Colorado. And I competed in the event of student Congress, which essentially means you pretend that you are a member of Congress and you debate bills on 20 to 30 different issues but you never know until you're in the room what side of the issue you have to take. You have to be prepared to eloquently argue and defend both sides of every issue. I did research upon research upon research for hours and hours and hours to not only understand one side of an argument, but the other as well, and be able to defend them with equal fervor. Uh, and taking the time to actually do that research, to read policy briefings and research papers and Library of Congress documents, I wish more high schoolers had that opportunity because it gave me a unique vantage point 
to see where everyone was coming from on every issue and then to make that choice for myself. Uh, that's really what set me up well for an academic career in science for now working in politics today. I will read every Library of Congress congressional briefing ever to understand where I stand on an issue. Uh, and I think really forcing myself to take positions that I wouldn't necessarily agree with and actually defend them publicly in front of others was really the opportunity I had to solidify what I truly believed in. Yeah, speech and debate will will do that for you. So I'm happy you had that experience. I think I regret not joining my speech and debate club in high school. We should have adult speech and debate. I mean, hey, start I'm down. <laughs> we'll do a part two. Love it, love it. Um, but Isabel, for any young person out there that is passionate about an issue, but isn't quite yet ready to share that publicly, what advice would you have? Well, I do wanna just start by saying the fear of being canceled is totally legitimate and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on today, cancellation is real and it is so much bigger than what I experienced on my college campus. 2022, being canceled might mean you lose your job and you lose your license to practice medicine or law. So I totally understand when people have an opinion and they don't want to share it publicly. I think that's not a very common thing to say as a political creator. Usually people will say, everything has to be put out there. You have to be as loud as you possibly can. I don't think everyone is necessarily called to that position. My life looks a lot different now because I've taken that path. Not everybody is the poke the bear, always put things out there, always challenge every side of an issue type of figure. Um, so it's okay if you don't wanna put things out publicly, be okay with that. And maybe your calling is just different in terms of how you fit into American culture and what that looks like for Gen Z. But if you are wanting to go in that direction, it's one post at a time, it's one conversation at a time. This doesn't just happen overnight where all of a sudden you're having every single conversation about every policy issue under the sun. Maybe it starts with asking people questions, people who follow you on Instagram or TikTok mm -hmm. and saying, hey, what do you guys think about this? And opening up the space for that. That's what I love about your brand so much, Sophie, is that you really are the unifier where you give that venue to other people rather than alienating some people who follow you or not. Uh, but it's that 15 seconds of just hitting posts, of raising your hand in class, of inviting a friend who you know you disagree with to coffee and being willing to put aside your differences to understand where you're coming from. Uh, and that courage will continue to build from there. I always like to say that courage is contagious. Maybe in your high school class, maybe in your college dorm, maybe in your church community, maybe with your followers on TikTok, they haven't seen somebody be that first person to raise their hand, to challenge the status quo, to put a really controversial post out there and they need somebody to do it. So never back down from that one opportunity to inspire so many people. I love that answer. I think 15 seconds of courage is something I'm gonna try. And thank you for those kind words. I feel the same way about you. I really admire how in everything you do, yes, there's a space and a time for a debate, but I feel like you're really after true conversation and bringing people together. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And I think that's a really missing value in our generation today. You said it very well with Gen Z having everything right in front of our face all the time. Millennials had a much different experience coming into adulthood where they kind of had to navigate the socio-political landscape on their own. They didn't have a great example of a very politically active generation right before them to tell them exactly how it all worked. Every generation in America has this pendulum swing where we are very young and we wanna be what? Rebellious and punk rock and not listen to the people who came right before us. And so I think the tactics that we saw with millennials being so hyper-political all the time 
are going to wear off on Gen Z. We want unification. We want real conversation. We don't want the own you gotcha moments that used to go viral on mm -hmm. social media. Those things just aren't working anymore to reach our generation. And I think both sides of the aisle are in for a huge rude awakening for that, not only in November for the midterms, but in 2024 as well. And I have hope that our generation will be the generation to bring people a little bit closer back together. Me too. So Isabel, I'm excited to bring us to our segment on POVs where we're gonna start introducing some alternative viewpoints from the larger Gen Z community. So Love it. keep an eye on your phone. We're gonna send you some texts. And when you get them, I want you to read it out loud and react so we can hear your POV. It's plain and simple. Conservatives are anti-women. They literally want to take away women's rights. I hear this every single day. I get DMs, comments, real in-person conversations all the time. And I always find it fascinating because more often than not, it's men telling me that I'm anti-women. Generally speaking, the women's rights argument does center around the issue of abortion. And I think it's really important that we touch on this issue because right now, this year, it's probably the most controversial issue our country is facing today. I know people on both sides of the issue that really do love women. They are so compassionate. They want to uplift women who find themselves in unexpected, really, really tough situations. We just disagree on how to get there. Uh, we just have to be willing to have those conversations and realize that we have a lot more in common than we don't. So I assure you, I am not anti-women. I love women. I believe women should be absolutely anything they set their mind to in America. I think we're seeing a lot of that in the mm -hmm. 2020s. In 1900, 6% of women worked outside the home. Now we're well above 95% of women who work outside the home. I mean, I could go on and on and on talking about this issue, uh, but I think this really isn't as divisive of a conversation as we think it is. In thinking about that person that may have sent that in, why do you think someone feels that the conservative party is anti-women? Maybe outside of abortion. Yeah, really, because it's all they're told. And I think the sad reality of the world we live in being this close to information all the time is that the way we are fed information, you are fed information that is supposed to resonate with what you believe in. That's what algorithms do, it's how they work. So you literally have an echo chamber being created the more you interact with content every single day, especially on platforms like TikTok that have totally created a new algorithm centered around how long you watch videos and how long you interact with content. So when you're constantly fed the same narrative and you don't have access to a creator or a friend or maybe a family member who you do disagree with, how can you ever expect to hear anything different? I think echo chambers are definitely exacerbating the divide that we see and we have to find ways to break outside of them. So I'm glad you brought mm. that up. Cancel culture is the sole reason why our world is so fucked up. I'm being doxxed and I keep receiving death threats, IDK what to do. Totally agree. And we just talked about that, how cancel culture is so much bigger than even being doxxed and getting death threats. That is horrifying and scary enough, but this is escalating to people losing their careers, their livelihoods, their ability to provide for their family. And it's really, really sad. But I do think there's good news. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Gen Z is sick and tired of cancel culture. We are totally over it. And so I think generally people, even if they agree or disagree with something somebody did to warrant them being canceled in the first place, are just really tired of our society saying people have to be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. We're not, we never will be. And I think once we return to our roots of understanding that, cancel culture won't have as much of a hold on our society anymore. Is there a line for you where you think someone should be removed from society? I don't think anyone should ever be removed from society. I certainly think there's a line of what's acceptable or not, but generally speaking, 
uh, as a Christian, I believe no person is beyond redemption. If they're willing to walk away from the bad behavior that they've exhibited or the mistakes that they've made and turn around and walk in a totally new direction, that's really the definition of what it means to repent, by the way. That, that word has such a bad connotation, but it literally means turn around and walk in the other direction. Anybody is worthy of redemption and our forgiveness. Thank you for sharing that. Abstinence is straight up stupid. Just like a car, you need to test drive it before you buy it. Abstinence as a word has become such a negative term. And I find that so fascinating because you think of nuns in Catholic school with the long plaid skirts with your uniform saying you should never, ever, ever touch a boy ever before you get married. And that should be the way that your life works. It's very easy to look around and see how people have been so devastated by our current dating and relationship norms in society. You know, the vast majority of people in our country, well over 70%, according to Pew Research, are not satisfied in the relationships that they're in. And the majority of young adults in this country, men and women, are so dissatisfied with the dating market that they're taking themselves off the dating market to begin with. I think the way we've treated sex and the lens through which we view it as, oh, it's just a fun thing, it should feel really good, you should be hooking up with a ton of people all at once and not really commit to anybody, is literally scientifically setting us up for heartbreak and setting us up for loneliness and depression uh, and we're obviously seeing a huge mental health crisis even outside of relationships in our country as well. I have to wonder how much sex has to do with that. So at the end of the day, with that POV, you agree that abstinence is the way? Yeah, I do. I, I think sex was designed for something very specific. Sex was designed for procreation, uh, and it was also designed for really lasting intimacy with your partner, the person that you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. And we've now created this narrative that we're supposed to have what we call consequence-free sex. Scientifically speaking, consequence-free sex does not exist. Every time you have sex, even if you're on some form of birth control, there is an opportunity that you could get pregnant or there is an opportunity that you could have an STD or even removing those situations, you will always have a hormonal reaction to that based on the neurotransmitters and the hormones that your brain is releasing, trying to bond you to that human being. And when we take away that opportunity, we're really setting people up for less than what they truly deserve. Thank you for sharing that. I had never heard that POV. I'm so confused as to why the Republican party is actually so anti-liberty. Shouldn't they be the party of freedom? Freedom to choose, freedom to love whoever we want, freedom to say whatever we want, freedom to exist as we are. Isn't the concept of choice and freedom exactly what they advocate for with our First Amendment rights? Make it make sense. Mm. Whew, long, long question. So I will try to make it make sense for you guys point by point here. I think it's a huge misnomer to assume all conservatives are very satisfied with the Republican Party. You should be totally aware that 99% of the conservatives that I run in circles with and create content with are probably more frustrated and disgusted with the Republican Party than people who vote against them. Freedom to choose, I think that's centered around the abortion argument, if I understand the, the, the point of this question and the vantage point of this question. Uh, I believe your right to life is the very most important life that, or very most important right and most basic fundamental human right that you have, period, end of story. It is right there in the 14th Amendment, which is interesting because the 14th Amendment was used as the legal pretense for Roe v. Wade as a particular court case in 1973. But in terms of the freedom to choose, you're really taking away an individual's freedom to choose anything when you end their life and they're an innocent life. You're taking away their opportunity to have a chance at life, to choose whatever they want out of their life 
to begin with. And we always, always, always see devastation with abortion in two specific ways. Number one, we always end a human life in an abortion, which is devastating and so sad, which takes away that individual's freedom to choose. But we also always, 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 whether it's a surgical or chemical abortion, put the life of the mother at risk as well. And so I have to wonder, is that really freedom to choose something positive or are we choosing death and devastation for women? Freedom to love whoever we want, totally on board with that. Absolutely no disagreement or qualm there. I think that's a Republican party, some individuals in the party difference of opinion, but I am absolutely on board with all of that. Freedom to say whatever we want. That is exactly what the First Amendment is all about. Totally on board and fascinatingly, it's often people who are the opposite of the Republican Party now arguing that we shouldn't have the freedom to say whatever we want, that we should be rewriting the First Amendment, that we should have a disinformation governance board, which now is no longer coming into fruition from our president, uh, but something that certainly was being discussed as essentially a ministry of truth like in 1984. Freedom to exist as we are, totally on board for that, all of it. Uh, and I think my, my values as a conservative really are centered in maximizing human freedom as much as humanly possible. I'm not an anarchist. I do think there is a role for government in society uh, and our government really has played that role well throughout our nation's history until very recently in modern society. Uh, but as, as long as we can maximize human freedom as much as possible, that's what I'm totally on board with. I can't believe you broke all of that down in such a, a short amount of time. <laughs> so we'll have to do another one where we can go deeper on those issues because sure. there's so much to talk about. Do you personally identify with the label conservative? Do you think the two-party system is serving us? And do you identify under all things that conservative politics advocate for? No, I don't identify with every single thing every conservative believes in. And frankly, I've been kind of uncomfortable with the label conservative for quite some time now. It's dawning on me that some of the loudest voices, not just on the left, but on the right as well, are embracing a really authoritarian point of view and direction for our country. Where circling back to the beginning of this interview, it sounds like one party is, we are the moral high ground, we understand what's good and those guys are evil. And the other party says exactly the same thing all the time. I think the vast majority of people in this country are somewhere in the middle where we all just want to connect with each other and have our government represent our interests, generally speaking, and just let people live their lives and get out of our everyday life so that we can build our own American dream. And so really, I just consider myself to be a free thinker. I am Isabel, more than I'm a conservative, more than I vote for a certain particular party. And I think most of Gen Z can probably resonate with that as well. Thank you for sharing that. How do you stick up for your beliefs when everyone is against you? I kind of answered this a bit before, but I think it really starts with having peace in who you are and what your values are, knowing that it's going to be different from other people. It's going to be different from other people who largely agree with you some of the time, and that can be really uncomfortable. It's gonna be different from your family a lot of the time, and that can be really uncomfortable. And when you start to feel that tension and that friction from the people who are closest to you, I think that's when people decide do I really believe that? And they kind of shrink back and hide away from their values and they become afraid to share those things because they don't wanna lose relationships, they don't want to burn bridges with people, uh, and they certainly don't want to be canceled with the infamous cancel culture we experience in the 2020s. I embrace courage through all of those situations because I know I wasn't designed to be like everybody else. We were all designed as individuals by God from my perspective, and if you don't believe in God, then maybe you just believe we're all different individuals 
for a very specific reason because I could never be Sophie and Sophie could never be Isabel. I think some of the biggest problems we're facing in politics center around the fact that we are lumping people into these massive groups without taking individual identity into account to maximize the liberty of those individuals to flourish. Instead, we put them in this little box and we assume oh, you vote for this thing or you vote for this person, so you must be this and this and this and this. When you understand that you are meant to stand out, you're never meant to blend into the crowd, you are never meant to have the same opinions as everybody else, I think it just comes with a lot of internal courage and excitement about sharing those things with the world. So that's what I would encourage you to embrace. I personally love that answer, so I'm gonna take that advice. I think we should always strive to be a Fruit Loop in a world of Cheerios. Yes, and yes, girl, that's so good. I'm so happy you brought that up because you're right, I think the world would be a bit of a boring place if we all thought the same way. It totally would be. And it's just crazy to me. I was in Portland, Oregon, for example, last March. I was walking around and everybody was exactly the same in Portland, Oregon, because they've been largely suppressed to all be culturally exactly the same all the time. And it totally broke my heart because that's not what we as human beings are about. We like different foods and we watch different movies and we like to travel to different places and we have different hobbies all for a reason. And those all impact our different political beliefs, our cultural values, yeah. our religious experiences. We shouldn't shy away from that. We should share that with each other so that we can challenge our perspectives and be more holistic human mm. beings. Isabel, drop a hot take, fire emoji. Love the inclusion of the fire emoji. Uh, men and women were intentionally designed to be different. Men can't be women and women can't be men. And we can't escape that fact. We seem to be blurring the lines really specifically in society today, not just in America, but around the world. Ironically, we're trying to lump everyone into this homogenous blob where we have no biological or racial differences and we're all just people. But when we ignore those differences, we divide ourselves even more every single day. And we're isolating people into these corners rather than leaning into the wonderful, amazing, unique identity that we were given and to be utilized for all of the good things in this world. So my heart really breaks for the next generation that we are talking to kids at very, very young ages about this stuff. We're, we're not allowing for an interesting back and forth conversation on this subject. In that take saying that men can never be women and women can never be men, do you still think we should strive for a society where men and women do have the same access to opportunities and equal rights? Absolutely, and that exists in America today. What's crazy to me is that we've continued fabricating this narrative that women are second-class citizens in America somehow, when every law on the books assures that you are an equal citizen as a man in modern America. You have every opportunity to go to college, to run after a corporate career, to not work and be a stay-at-home mom if you want to do that, to start your own business, and yet we're continuing to tell women that they never will be successful because of men. I worry that that narrative is so damaging to the next generation of women because we've lied to them to believe, I can't do that until I see somebody else do that. That was a really common talking point in the last political major presidential election when I was doing a lot of media. I was often told how wonderful it would be that we would finally have a female vice president so that every other young woman growing up could then become a female vice president. And I, my brain just shattered when I heard that because Imagine how many women could have already been the first woman to do X, Y, Z, the first woman to walk on the moon, the first woman to cure cancer, the first woman to patent a new invention, all of these things. But we've told young women, well, you have to see another woman do it first. I wish we were more empowering to the next generation of young women 
instead of leading them on to believe that somehow there is this barricade and ceiling preventing them from succeeding. Isabel, I'm so glad that you came on POVs today. I have one more question for you. If you had a megaphone right now that could reach all of Gen Z, what is the one message you would want them to know? You are never too young to get involved and use your voice and make a statement and challenge the status quo. I cannot tell you how many times working in politics, I have been approached by old people and said, how old are you? 20 something, 20, early 20s? And I say, yes, early 20s. And they say, well, you shouldn't be doing this as a career. You shouldn't be public speaking or going on the news because you just don't have enough life experience. You need another graduate degree on top of the one you already have. You need to go run for Congress. You need to be a practicing lawyer for a while. And then maybe, maybe you'll be qualified enough to start talking to us about some of this stuff. The founding fathers of our country, whether you love them or hate them, we have this image of them in our head, largely thanks to our AP US history books, I think. And when I speak to high school chapters for Turning Point USA and other organizations across the country, I always like to ask, what comes to mind when you think of the founding fathers? What did they, what do they look like? And they all usually in unison shout out old white men, because that's what we've been taught to believe that they were these old, wrinkly, ancient, completely out of touch, culturally powdered white wig men. And in reality, the vast majority of the founding fathers, when they created this country and created what I believe to be the greatest political document ever written, the constitution, they were teenagers. They were punk rock teenagers and early 20s kids who were doing everything they could to rebel against the establishment, to stop listening to the old people across the pond in England, telling them to sit down and shut up and to fight for the things that they found to be paramountly important for the future of every generation to come here in our country. They didn't listen to that narrative. And I, I hope and pray that every Gen Z are listening to this find that spark within them to not wait, to not sit down and shut up, but to do everything they can to make their voice heard now, because our country has always depended on young voices for our future. But I think that's especially true now in 2022 more than ever. I'm so happy you shared that, Isabel. I think we've got to do some rewriting of our textbooks, maybe <laughs> adding yeah, some drawings. New illustrations, please, <laughs> for the love of God. Like they were like 19 and yet we paint them like they're 85. I actually didn't even know that until the other day when I, I was researching that. that for a speech that I was given, how wow. sad that our education system leaves out that very, very important detail when they're teaching the next generation of freedom fighters. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That definitely broke my echo chamber among so many other things today. Isabel, thank you for leading the way and what it means to have these conversations, to speak up about what matters to you and for being here today on POVs. I'm so happy you came on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sophie. Best of luck with everything with this podcast. And thank you for breaking so many echo chambers too. Bring it in. Yay. You're so great. Oh, that was awesome. Super fun, thank you. You're so, you're such a natural. Just, How do you feel? Great. Well, I could be generalizing, but I feel like a lot of the things we talked about today, you probably feel like you have to be defending constantly on your yeah. platform. Yeah, kind of. So I, I hope you were able to feel comfortable to share the things that, you know, mattered to you instead of feeling like you had to defend your point of view. Yeah, you know, I really mean what I said though. Like I, I truly believe Gen Z agrees on 98% of things. At the end of the day, every young person in America just wants to be left alone. Thank you.